Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. I am your host, Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by a terrific guest today. He is Thor Nystrom at Thor KU on the Twitters. He is the NFL drafted college football analyst for fantasy pros and betting pros and also covering the Vikings at Score North and a good friend of mine, Thor. How are we doing today? I'm doing great, Kevin. Good to be with you. Absolutely. I, I love the helmets. Have you added any new ones since the last time we talked? <laughs> you know I have, Kevin. Yeah. I we, know. It looks like more. Collection. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> now we have a couple new FBS teams coming this this coming season. So I'll have a couple more to add to the collection. But yeah, we're we're more than halfway there to having the full FBS, but I won't rest until I have all 133 or 34 or whatever the exact number is going to be this year. Excellent. Excellent. Did you feature the, the Cuse, the Syracuse prominently just for me because I live in Cuse or <laughs> I did. I did. We, we had, we, yeah, we had to get the shout out for the orange for you, Kevin. That's the orange man. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. Well, Thor is here to help us talk some Falcons draft targets. Thor does a ton of work every single year, breaking down all kinds of draft prospects, looking at team fits and needs, obviously a lot of fantasy angles to that as well. Uh, but yeah, today let's let's kick things off with I put out a mock draft today. You put out a mock draft today. Let's start with yours uh, in the first round. The Falcons getting Tyree Wilson, which I think probably most fans would be ecstatic to see happen. Uh, doesn't always fall to the Falcons at eight. So what do you think about the chances of that pick happening? And what do you think about that fit for Tyree Wilson in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee that Tyree Wilson's going to be there, but I I think if he is, that it just seems like a really, really good fit. You know, I mean, like he he could start going, you know, anywhere. I mean, five, that you know, to Seattle, that's been something that's bandied about. You've seen him uh, mocked also to Detroit at six. But yeah, if he somehow makes it through that little gauntlet there, and the Falcons, you would imagine they're they have to be hoping that the four quarterbacks are going to go above them. Seems like they're hitching their their wagons to Ritter here in the short term. See how that pans out. But if that happens, that's the scenario where a guy like Tyree Wilson falls down. And if he's not there, you know, I think Lucas Van Ness, if if you're looking at the edge, would would be in play too. And Nolan Smith is not too far off too, d- depending on how they view him. Obviously, Nolan Smith's coming off an injury, um, and he's undersized as well. But he's so crafty and. Proved at the NFL Combine that he's way more than crafty. The athleticism <laughs> is absolutely stupid. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, with the Falcons signing Calais Campbell, the Tyree Wilson makes a lot of sense as, like, their successor to, to Calais Campbell. Similar body type, obviously, with just being gigantic humans and uh, a lot of strength in their profiles and things like that. So I, w- I would think that would make a ton of sense because, you know, Campbell's only in Atlanta on the one-year deal. Uh, so getting someone that... I mean, I couldn't think of a better mentor for Tyree Wilson than Calais Campbell, who would be basically the what what Wilson would probably be hoping to get to in terms of his ceiling uh, in the NFL. So that one makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah, talk talk to me about Van Ness because he's a guy I'm a little bit skeptical of as a top ten pick. I think he's going to be obviously a first rounder. Um, 
you know, I, there's always people saying, oh, he wasn't even a starter. I know that has a lot to do with Iowa and how they play guys. And um, there's a lot of that. So, yeah, talk to me about Van Ness because he is someone that has had some buzz to the Falcons. Do you think he is legitimately a, a top 10 prospect? I, I do. Yeah. Um, the the zero start thing is totally an Iowa thing. That's totally a Kirk Ferentz thing. We've seen that with guys in the past. You know, I mean, just at the same position, A.J. Epinesa, he didn't get to start until his last year there. And that was just because the, the you know, veterans that were above him that they had graduated on. It's just the way that they do it. But Van Ness led the team in snaps for edge rushers. So, I mean, sort of technically he was the starter in terms of playing the most snaps. But, like, they that's just the way – it is at Iowa. They have this weird hierarchy with their roster where you, you know, you have to like earn it. You have to move up, whatever that it, but it's not the same thing with their coaching staff. Cause uh, Mr. <laughs> Brian Ferentz is still the offensive coordinator, even though the team can't score any points. So, but uh, yeah, as far as Van Ness's profile, he's a speed to power freight train and, and that the speed to power thing is like his hundred mile per hour fastball. And so offensive tackle, certainly in the big 10 and also at the NFL level, you got to sit back on your heels for that heat. Because if you're not, he's going to blow right past you. And he jars you right off the line, whatever, just just explodes off the snap, descends on you really quick. Um, and then once you do that, that opens up the possibility for the counter moves. What what I want to see of him, uh, you know, going for the, the next step of his development is, is, is developing more of those counter moves and stuff like that because you're going to get all those opportunities just because the way offensive linemen have to play you to protect against that 100-mile-per-hour fastball. It's sort of like – the hitters in the bat- back of the batter's box choked, you know, up on the bat because he knows that that heater's coming. And then if you can develop a Bugs Bunny changeup or you know mm-hmm. some sort of a breaking pitch, whatever, you know, it's it's much easier to get that pitch uh, across from a guy that, that's sitting back dead right on that fastball. So that's how I think of Lucas Van Ness. He's sort of at the he's an exciting guy because he's at the start of his curve. But you you saw over his three years on campus, he got better, 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 better. And I, I think he's one of those prospects who's just ascending. Yeah, yeah. And it, it definitely seems like a lot of, you know, the analysts that are pretty universally respected and Jan- Daniel Jeremiah and guys like that have, have had him consistently high in the first round. Um, so it definitely seems like that is one to keep an eye on. And Nolan Smith, another name you mentioned, um, he is a guy that apparently does have connection to the Falcons, that there is buzz, that they are strongly considering him at eight. Um, and I've heard that from, from multiple people now. So that that's another one that's really interesting, kind of like the polar opposite in terms of like body type to Tyree Wilson. Uh, yeah. But uh, a guy that may offer some additional flexibility as potentially playing some off ball. Um, some people have said, you know, he may be able to have, not necessarily that he's Micah Parsons, obviously, but that he could play a similar role as a, an edge rusher and an off ball linebacker. What do you think about Nolan Smith? Are you one of the, the folks that is, you know, high on him being an early first rounder potentially? Yeah. I, well, I think he's going to go in the top half of the first round for sure. Yeah. And, and the Nolan Smith watch it, Yeah. It starts right after, you know, I guess the top five. Cause I, I, I mean, if he went to um, Detroit at six, I wouldn't be stunned. Like, you know, I, I, they're certainly considering edge rusher and he's certainly going to, he's in that small group where you're going to consider whatever, but yeah, the, the, the versatility in Nolan Smith, I, I, I agree that that's something he could do. He could play some off ball. And then you can get him screaming off the edge in, you know, in, in the pure passing situations, whatever. And I mean, when it goes to the combine, I shouldn't have been surprised by how well he tested, but but I still was just because it was so stupid with the 439 40 yard dash. And it wasn't just that his 20 yard split and his 10 yard split 
ninth percentile in the 20 yard split. And then he had the best 10 yard, 10 yard split ever for, for an edge guy. And then both of his, his, his jumps were elites, you know, 98%. Well, actually both of them were 98 percentile. So yeah, just a freak athlete and you can do a lot of different stuff with him. But like you mentioned, it's a totally different type of player and body style than, than Tyree Wilson. Tyree Wilson is like, I mean, built sort of like Hercules and he has those mm. super duper long levers on him. That that's not Nolan Smith, but Nolan Smith, he brings you that that craftiness on the field in conjunction with the athleticism. And and I think you're gonna be able to do different stuff with him at the next level for sure. Yeah, I know everyone raves about Nolan Smith's football character and his competitive toughness too, as a guy that you wouldn't know he was that size when he plays the run. I mean, I've never seen someone sub like 240 play the run as well as Nolan Smith. So I think a lot of the concerns at his size are probably mitigated because you just like it, it. He just is so nasty that it just doesn't matter. Like he's so physical with how he plays it just and like crafty. Like you said, uh, he finds ways to, to get around it, uses his leverage really well, uh, just knows how to attack the outside shoulder guys. And, and just, he just knows how to do it. He, he's got the technique down and I'm not as concerned, I think, as some people are about the size limitations. And maybe he can put on a few pounds, but, um, I mean, I, I do like that pick. That's definitely one of the sleeper picks. Um, yeah, and, Ke- and Kevin, just to your point, like, sometimes, you know, when we're talking about, like, the the smaller guys in the box there, one of your concerns is, is with, you know, both the length and then your reliability with tackling. There was a linebacker that the Vikings took a couple years ago in the third round who he he had some impressive things about his, his college profile, but one of the things that concerned you was he had super duper short arms and there was an elevated uh, missed tackle rate that he had. And that absolutely projected to the next level because he hasn't been able to do that there. And I'm talking about Chaz Surratt, who mm-hmm. turned out to be a big bust for the Vikings. Nolan Smith had one of the best missed tackle rates in, in terms of being the lowest yeah, in this yeah. entire, entire edge class. Uh, only 9.1% missed tackle rate. And he only missed two last year. So to your point, I mean, he's one of those guys that gets on the doorstep really quick provides that heat but then when he's there he brings the technique it's not just like total hair on fire or whatever and and that's you know that what we talk about that special sauce with the dichotomy between the athleticism and his craftiness or his adherence to technique on the field and and that's where you see some of that stuff mitigate or you know where, where you see that manifest and that's why to me that some of that size stuff it, it, it's, it's mitigated because of those things we've we've already seen the proof of concept with, with nolan smith at the very highest levels of college football because obviously yeah. Georgia made their couple of runs to the title and, and Nolan Smith m- missed the end of last year, but, but his entire career up till then, he has been a very reliable tackler. Yeah. And do you have, you know, faith that he's going to put it together as a pass rusher? I mean, I kind of do because when you have someone that that's passionate about the game, if he doesn't hit the ceiling, it's not going to be because he didn't work his ass off. So a thousand percent. Yeah. He, he's just so difficult to deal with off the edge. Cause you, you just don't get guys screaming down that, that have that athletic profile. And then again, it, it's not just that, you know, it's like a receiver that, that's super athletic that can also run the routes. That's what you think about with Nolan Smith. It's not just like a one note kind of a thing. He can throw, you know, if I'm going back to the baseball metaphors, he can throw so many different pitches at the offensive tackles. So you can't just sit dead red on the explosion, the speed, et cetera. Um, if you do that, he he can just pirouette inside. And now he, he, he has a more direct path to the quarterback. So yeah, the, the pass rushing with him is going to translate. Yeah, I definitely am interested in that as sort of like a dark horse pick for the Falcons today. You don't see it a lot in mocks, but I I, I have a feeling we might see it more often uh, as the buzz sort of starts to grow there. But 
we talked a lot about edge rushers. They've also been connected to guys like Christian Gonzalez. Uh, I, you know, finally broke down and, and sent Bijan Robinson to him uh, today in my mock draft just because, you know, everyone was like, oh, do one with Bijan, do one with Bijan. So we did one with Bijan. But, like, we also know that Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, they do not care what you think or I think about positional value. They took a tight end at four. So uh, I, I think I, when I tell people about that, it's like, yeah, they could take Bijan at eight. Absolutely. <laughs> like um, they could view him as the best player available. And he, you know, in terms of pure talent, he could easily be the best player available at that spot. But um, what are some other, some other spots, some other prospects at eight that you think the Falcons could consider depending on how the board falls? Yeah, and the Bijan one is is super interesting because I I agree that he would be an absolutely great fit there. And when you're thinking about like you know looking at next year, let's just assume that they're not going to take the quarterback, and and it's you know I mean that's just the assumption, especially with right. where they're picking. They're going to roll it forward with Ritter. Well, it, th- then what next year becomes? It's the referendum year on Ritter. Is he the long term answer, or the next year in the draft are we going to have to take one? And the good news is. Either way that it goes, it it ends up well for the Falcons. Let's say that Ritter falls on his face, even though you put all the, you know, all the skill talent around him that you would want. Well, then the, the Falcons are going to be picking near the top of the next class when Caleb Williams is coming out, when Drake May is coming out, then you can just move, move beyond Ritter. But like in a scenario like this where, I mean, and, and they might even be able to trade down a little bit and get Bijan, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, again, I, I think that's a great fit but they could potentially even get down into the, you know, into the teen somewhere and potentially still get him, add some picks. And, and again, if you do that, I mean, if you're Desmond Ritter, what more could you ask for right. in, in terms of your skill talent? You get to work next to Bijan Robinson in very short order is going to be one of the best running backs in, in, in the entire NFL. And then you have the, those enormous Sequoia receiving <laughs> targets downfield and, and Drake London and Kyle Pitts and, and, and the whole gang. So, I, like I, I think that'd be cool either way it goes because obviously if Ritter succeeded with those guys around him then you can roll it forward with him if not then you're going to be picking higher in the draft next year anyway when two more of these stud quarterbacks are coming right off the assembly line yeah yeah and you know you mentioned the the quarterback decision that's been a very hot topic with the national media in particular it seems like the Falcons are were expected to be the team to go get Lamar uh, and they did not, and everyone seems to be pretty upset that they did not get Lamar. Uh, but they've made it; they've tried to make it clear that they're not going to get Lamar. Obviously, they could be lying because uh, teams do that a lot. Uh, but yeah, what do you think about that decision with Ritter to sort of? I mean, you mentioned the the idea of they're not really risking a lot by letting him have the keys this year. They they only invested a third round pick. Uh, they can see what they've got. And then if, if it doesn't work, you know, they have a good shot at a quarterback next year and they've got the rest of the team built. So instead of back in 2021, the hot topic of course was should the Falcons take Justin Fields or Kyle Pitts. And they went with Kyle Pitts. They would have been dropping Justin Fields obviously into what was, you know, more or less a disaster roster at the time. Now they could be going into next season with, you know, the same choice, but now it could be, we're dropping the quarterback into a roster that's ready instead of, asking this quarterback to be our savior. Uh, and I, I wonder if that's a better strategy, but I'm curious what you think about how they're sort of going about the quarterback position this offseason. Yeah, I like that. You know, the the way it, the way they're building, it's more methodical. It reminds you sort of of how the Lions have built their roster, right? Where it's like sort of those positions around the quarterback. Obviously, the Lions, they were sort of tied to Goff or whatever, but they they did a really good job of sort of building around him. And and the Falcons, you know, I, I, just a younger version of that same build type. And you you put it you put everything around Ritter, and then this year you can just see, and then 
you know, either way, I, I, either way that that scenario shakes out, I, I think it's good news for the Falcons. They, Falcons might be a little bit higher on Ritter than me, but I'm more apt than I think, like, I don't know, just regular folks, certainly people that are employed there, <laughs> you know, that in terms of like, well, if next year goes wayward, um, then that opens up even more possibility. So I'm I'm not afraid to to build that way, build it slow, and then you know fail if that's what's going to happen here. We give uh, Ritter that referendum season, or maybe you know it's the sink or swim thing. Maybe, maybe he does swim, but I I, I like the strategy. Yeah, because if he, if it hits, then you look like a genius. <laughs> so and you exactly. got a quarterback you found for, something for free, basically. Yeah, yeah, you look like a genius, and you have a quarterback under contract for another two seasons at one point seven million. So, uh, <laughs> so I mean, it's th- there is a, an upside there. Everyone always talks about, oh, you want to build, you know, a team with a quarterback on a rookie contract. But now that they have a chance to do it, people are like, no, no, not that one. You know, you need a different one. You know, go get a different rookie. So we'll see. You know, it. it it could not work, uh, and I think fans need to recognize that too. Like, it may not work, but uh, it could also work. So, hey, there's there's some upside either way. But um, looking at the first round or other rounds, uh, other needs that the Falcons have, we talked a lot about Edge. We mentioned Bijan. Um, you know, I think you and I are both sort of on the on the idea that they're probably not taking a quarterback like you know, if, if they're smoke screening, this is the most, you know, determined smoke screen I've ever seen, uh, to <laughs> where they've got the owner out, you know, talking up to quarterback now. So, um, quarterback probably off the board, but other positions like cornerback is one, you know, Casey Hayward is one of the starters and he ended up missing, uh, most of last season with an injury. Um, and they can save 5 million from moving on from him. They, they don't necessarily need the money obviously, but, um, cornerback could be a spot, uh, We've talked, you know, wide receiver. They still have needs there. Uh, what are some other spots that you think that Falcons should be sort of focusing in on in maybe the day two range of the draft? Yeah, d- day two, I think, is where they go and get a receiver. Um, and I think that's a, re- I think that's the spot in this draft to start shopping for receivers. You know, where where the especially where the Falcons are picking, I wouldn't want to lead that dance. There's not going to be a receiver taken before you. I wouldn't pop the receiver at at eight or whatever. But if you because I mean, this this class, in contrast to the past couple of receiver classes where you had all the the mega stud surefire receivers coming out, just a whole group of them. This class, we don't really have that. But like if you just lop off the tier one and then you go down, then it's, it starts to look like the other receiver classes. So as long as you're not using a pick on a receiver where it's sort of like a, a tier one type uh, draft import with the equity that you're given for them. I, I I think that's where I'd invest the the depth of it. You can find the receivers uh, day two, early day three, m- mixing and matching to what you need, you know, w- depending on the, the team in question. And with the Falcons, like we said, you already have those big Sequoias that can go down the field and go up and get it. What those two guys bring you, you know, going forward, the manifestation of it is you have all this extra space in the intermediate area because the defense just is not able to crowd up because of that ability. And as we know with Desmond Ritter, he's a quarterback that can let it fly and like to at, at Cincinnati. So, I mean, with with that sort of propensity there, you're going to have all this intermediate space. You can find yourself a receiver on day two, and you should be able to, that's going to be able to take advantage of the single coverage and then eat up in the intermediate uh, area. That would be absolutely one that, that I'd, I'd be looking at. Um, you mentioned the interior defensive line. That's certainly another need for the Falcons as well. Um, you know, as, as far as the first round, um, you know, unless Jalen Carter falls to eight, 
and and I don't think he's going to. But if you know if 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 he did, that could be one where where it'd be an easy fill of that position, whatever. But then after that, you know, then you're you're probably looking at at the day two guys. You know, is is Maisie Smith going to fall down there? Um, you know, in, but in any, if not, you can start to look at some of the other guys. But this is not the best interior defensive yeah. line class after the after the top guy. It drops off a bit, you know, in terms of the tier. And then you have the next couple guys. Brice is going to be long gone by the time the Falcons come up in round two. Um, Elijah Cansey probably will too. So then you're dropping down to that next tier. So I, I think interior defensive line, barring the scenario of Jalen Carter falling to eight, I think that's one you put on the back burner to day two or or even in, into day three. Um, and there are some some sleeper uh, defensive tackles that I like that that potentially the Falcons could look at. Jared Clark, a kid from yeah, Coastal yeah. Carolina. I don't think he gets enough buzz, you know, for for just an that sort of enormous planet-sized uh, defensive tackle. His three-cone and his agility drills were really, really good. They, they don't look at when you just compare him to, like, yeah. when you're comparing it to Kalijah Kansi, maybe not. But when you, <laughs> you know, you understand you have the 60-pound weight discrepancy, and then you start comparing it to these other enormous nose tackles that have come into the league. Um, he's impressive. And there's some other defensive tackles down in, in that area. You know, you're talking fourth, fifth round that you could go out and target. Um you you had brought up the cornerback one, you know I, th- th- that's certainly going to be in play in the f- the first round too, and then the the running back would be the other need. You know I, I think that's that's five of them. I I think that would be the top five needs for the Falcons. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree. I think you know the same thing can like edge and corner are the two that I think most people pencil in as like first second round picks because both of those classes have guys at the top that the Falcons could be choosing between. Christian Gonzalez, Devon Witherspoon, you know, maybe Joey Porter Jr. sneaks into that conversation as well. And then at Edge, we talked about, you know, Tyree Wilson, Nolan Smith, Lucas Van Ness. And then you go to the second round and it's the same story. You've got a bunch of guys at cornerback at Edge uh, that the team could be considering. Um, I am curious your thoughts on like the uh, Christian Gonzalez versus Devon Witherspoon versus other conversation at the top. Are you are you Gonzalez number one or are you more of a Witherspoon guy? I. So I, I slightly prefer Witherspoon, just, you know, adherence to tape, I guess. Uh, Witherspoon, he has the most impressive tape in yeah, the cornerback class. I don't think I don't think that there's any question about that. Um, obviously, uh, Gonzalez has him on the measurables, but in terms of like the the on-field stuff and, and recognizing the route and running the route for you and, and the different instinctual stuff and then the, the feistiness and the, the tenacity, whatever, those are all the areas where you're putting Witherspoon above them. In truth, it would be, you know, if, if I was on the clock, it would depend on the team I had and the defensive coordinator I had and the scheme that I had because, you know, it's sort of like Dalton Kincaid against Michael Mayer. They're mm-hmm. two different kinds of tight ends. They're ranked pretty close if you're just ranking the players in a vacuum. But your decision on the two of them, if you were on the clock, it would depend on the team you had. If you if you needed the inline guy that was going to block more, you would take Mayer. And if you wanted more of the the singular receiving talent that's really just difficult to to deal with, then you, you would take Kincaid. And it's sort of the same thing, I think, with the you know Gonzalez against Witherspoon thing. But you know, I don't have the, the scheme or a defensive coordinator or whatever, and so just in the the sort of vacuum of all that context, I would have Witherspoon just slightly ahead of him. But those guys are pretty close. Yeah, yeah. I, I also wonder, like, if the Falcons, because the Falcons do have AJ Terrell already, they sort of have that prototypical outside number one guy. So I wonder if they would lean more towards Witherspoon as like a shutdown number two, not necessarily needing him to have the elite measurables to match up with the big guys because they've got Terrell already, or if they would want two of those guys with Gonzalez. That's that's sort of the debate that I have. But I, I agree on the tape. But I mean, would you have Witherspoon as like a, you know, an option for the Falcons at eight? Like he would be worth that eighth overall pick in your mind? 
for me yeah yeah i you know i'm gonna have them rank somewhere around there maybe maybe 10 or 11 you know so but somewhere maybe nine um somewhere in there when when i end up stacking the board so yeah in terms of positional value you know and and positional need yeah absolutely and i loved your point about across from terrell because yeah i feel like uh witherspoon would be a really good compliment for that for you know for playing across from aj terrell so what would be a good fit but certainly you would not argue against uh christian gonzalez the like that kid's just a freak of an athlete when you're that big and you've been a track star for however long and everything like that. And he obviously went out and proved the concept of that stuff. But uh, yeah, just, you know, for, if we're splitting hairs and Parson and stuff like that, just those, those ancillary things of, of Witherspoon's game, it's just hard for me to turn away from that. But, you know, in terms of, you know, you mentioned, I put out the, the, the two round mock today. We, we had mentioned that I, you know, Tyree Wilson in the first round, I ended up giving the Falcons uh, Clark Phillips from Utah yeah, in, yeah. in, in, in you know in in the second round Clark Phillips a guy is probably headed towards the slot but he's going to be a very very good one his measurables were not as good but if we're just talking again just about yeah. the tape of the player he might be top three of this cornerback class just in terms of, of pure tape go back and watch uh Utah's games against USC particularly the last one he had Jordan Addison and witness protection for that entire game like Jordan Addison couldn't get rid of him He's going, he's going into the tunnel at halftime. Clark Phillips is still there. After the game, he's trying to get on the bus. Clark Phillips is still in his pocket. <laughs> he could not get rid of Clark Phillips no matter what. There are certain guys in the NFL that Clark Phillips just won't be able to cover just because of the their physical stature and the athleticism. But in the slot, he's just going to be fine. You're just going to stick him on a guy, lock him on, 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 you know, on the slot receiver for the NFL out of the nickel. And super duper feisty kid. And again, just so difficult to shake. You know, I mean, not all of this came out in in the athletic profile, but on the field, his shiftiness and just sticking with the receivers in and out of those route breaks, the the lack of separation that he gives is is just high end. For for me, Clark Phillips would be a borderline first round prospect just because of that tape, like I mentioned. But because of the lack of measurable measurables coming in at 5'9", 184, he had he had the fifty I guess fifty fourth percentile RAS score. Because of that, it's looking like Clark Phillips is going to filter into the second round. But you know when you're doing the draft, and you know let's say you're in the Falcons front office, you can't just think about it of like the first round pick and and who's you almost have to do the three dimensional chess thing of you know here here are our needs you know and and stuff like that. And if we go with this position in the first round what would be available to us at the other positions, you know, with, with our next couple of premium picks, if we're looking to bring guys in that are going to be immediate contributors. And you mentioned it with like the, both, I mean, the, the Falcons are lucky in this regard, both the edge class and the cornerback class in, in this specific draft class are very, very good. You know, like the, some of the, you know, some of the positional groups, not as good, uh, re- you know, I mentioned receiver, not as good as we've seen the past couple of years that you want to wait on a little bit, but in, in terms of the edge and in terms of the cornerback, I agree with you. Those are ones that I would prioritize early on because the top of those classes are just so good in this year's draft class. Yeah. And I, I think you're going to be happy with whoever's falling to you at 44. If you're going one of those spots, uh, like whether, you know, at edge, it could be like Tuli Tupalatu if they're looking for someone that's more of that inside-outside guy. You know, Isaiah Foskey has sort of tumbled down, but at 40, I mean, he was once a first-round guy. I'd be happy to get him at 44 for sure. Um, 
you know, there's going to be guys there. You mentioned Clark Phillips, uh, DJ Turner from Michigan also seems to be sort of tumbling a little bit, which shocked me considering you ran a four two six. but, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, and then they've got sort of the, the up and comers like Julius Brents, you know, he, he tested out crazy yeah. with his size too. So, um, whatever flavor of corner you want, you could get that more nickel guy. You could get that speed guy. You could get that size guy at 44. You'll have your choice of the options. So, um, those are definitely some good ones. Yeah. Yeah. And, Ke- um, and Kevin, yeah. We, we talk about the, the three dimensional chess thing. Let's say, you know, in my mock draft, like you said, give Tyree Wilson at number eight, but let's say instead that they did Witherspoon there or that Gonzalez fell down there. And now you, you defer it to, to the edge thing. Um, in, in mine, uh, right after Clark Phillips, my next two ones, uh, were key on white and will McDonald. A yeah. couple guys that that in some mocks have gotten into the the back end of the uh, first round, but there's so many edge. Like I said, there's so many yeah. edge defenders in this class. Some of those guys are going to filter down, and some of these cornerbacks that didn't test as well, they're going to filter down too to where the the Falcons are going to be picking there. So then, you know, I mean, in in this mock exercise, it becomes: Would you prefer um, Would you prefer Witherspoon and your choice of Keon White or Will McDonald, or would you prefer it the way that I had it, where it's Tyree Wilson or Clark Phillips? But again, this is like the, you know, like in Minority Report where Tom Cruise, yeah. he's getting all the crimes in advance and he's up on the screen, he's <laughs> moving all this stuff. Like that that's sort of going to be the, the Falcons front office in terms of the three-dimensional chess of if we go this way, then in the second round, what will be available to us? You know, if, if we were picking a, a two-some group, some, uh, group in there, would it be these two guys or these two guys? All, all that stuff uh, gets baked into that and goes into the decision-making for each each pick. Because as you know, it's like the butterfly effect. You go one, you, you go with the one guy here, it changes everything after that on your on the board for the NFL period, but then also on yours. And, and so th- those are all the discussions going on right now. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of last year when the Falcons took Drake London at eight and it set off that huge receiver run immediately following that pick. And everyone was like, oh, that's kind of early for a receiver. And it's like, well, was it? Because as soon as they picked him, all the receivers went off the board and it, you know, really ended up hosing some teams that were later on. It forced the Saints to trade up for Alave. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it, you can't just look at a pick in the vacuum necessarily. You have to look at how the rest of the board plays out. And that's one of the more fun things about it is that, especially when you're doing the mocks and, and building the boards, it's like, oh, how... If if it start, if the first round starts this way, how does the second round go? Or if if four quarterbacks go off, how does it go? You know that sort of thing. So um, it's very entertaining. A, a thousand percent. Yeah. And, and Kevin, yeah. one thing I was going to add to that, it's not just yeah. us that loves the mock draft. The the NFL front offices they actually look at all the different mock drafts that are being put out there because they start to run these scenarios like we're talking mm-hmm. about. What percent chance is it that this guy, this guy, this guy gets to us in in that pick? And then, you know, if we went that direction in the second round, what are the odds that this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy are there? And, and so, yeah, t- to your point, that's it's it's well taken. That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last thing we'll touch on real quick. Uh, day three guys that you like for the Falcons. You mentioned Gerard Clark. He's a, I'm definitely a big fan of his. Um, but yeah, any any names out there that you think would just be good fits for the Falcons at any point uh, sort of in, in the later portions of the draft? Well, you know, I mentioned that, you know, we, we talked about the receiver thing a little bit. And at least in my exercise, I went defense, defense in, in the two rounds for the Falcons. So, you know, just a couple of guys I would toss out for after that, um, you know, potential round three, round four type guys that I, that I would like. Um, uh, one of them, uh, Michael Wilson, a guy that uh, Kevin, you and I saw in, in Mobile, um, you know, in what my months are getting away from me, January, right? <laughs> Technically, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, Michael Wilson was a guy that always impressed uh, when he was on the field at Stanford. It was just that it was a little bit on again, off again. 
um, because he he would get injured and stuff like that. And he was also stranded in just this terrible offensive system. But there's a lot of different things to like about his game. He's just super duper well built. He comes in. He's almost 6'2", 216, had a 93rd percentile RAS. And there's one special sauce thing of his athletic profile that is not measured by the testing that we do. Fortunately, because of the radar and the tracking that, you know, some of that data that we get, we get to see the manifestation of this, which is his deceleration and acceleration. Uh, Michael Wilson was one of only two players at the senior bowl, regardless of position that finished both in the top 15 in max speed that was tracked all week and top five in deceleration. And when you're watching Michael Wilson's tape, he is always opening up those throwing windows outside, you know, when he leaves the route break. And, and the reason is because he throttles down just so fast. It is so unpredictable when he's going to just slam those brakes on and no cornerback can stay with them on that. You constantly see like, like the cornerbacks, like, you know, trying to put the brakes on with them and then we'll start skidding, you know, like he, he just can't stop on a dime like Wilson can. And then Wilson can, you know, just cut it out, you know, or whatever, or do the comeback. Yeah. So, so you get all that sort of stuff. He's got some wonkiness on the profile that's, that's going to push him down just a little bit. Like I said, bad situation, uh, was injury plagued these last couple of years. And then the only part I don't like about his athletic profile is his arms just happen to be a little bit shorter than, than you would think for how big his frame is. But those are the reasons why he's going to be available in, say, round three. Who knows? Maybe even into round four. That, that would be a guy that I would look at. Um, Tank Dell. Uh, yeah. would be another guy that I would look at, a guy that's just impossible to stay with in space in one-on-one coverage. Now, Tank Dell, he, he's a little pint-sized guy, but I've seen people can, you know, toss out a comparison to like Tutu Atwell. He's not Tutu Atwell. Tutu Atwell at Louisville, he only did two things. They either got the, the, the snap and then they throw it to Tutu Atwell right away and it'd be like a funnel screen or whatever. They'd manufacture touches for him or they would let him scream down the field and then throw the deep shot when they had one-on-one. But Tutu Atwell didn't really do anything outside of those two things. So he was really raw in all these other aspects. Whereas Tank Dell destroyed defenses at all four sectors of the field when he was on campus. Um, and, and not only that, you know, because it's like, oh, he's coming up from the G5. Well, he played at one of the best G5 programs yeah, yeah. And, and they played multiple power five schools, po- multiple power five bowl schools here over the last couple of years. And they also played that Cincinnati team that made the playoff. The only G5 team that ever made the playoff. Uh, Tank, Tank Dell sliced and diced every single one of them. Again, at all at all sectors of the field, short behind the line of scrimmage, intermediate, deep. The, the, the whole gamut of it, you look at his PFF grades these past couple of years, it was like all four sectors, he was 90 or above, like an elite grade for them. So, so that, you know, you're starting to think about like compliments for, for, for uh, a Kyle Pitts and a, and a Drake London and, and, and having Tank Dell in the slot, I think would be another uh, good one at that. One last one that I would toss out for the receiver room, you know, if we're just looking at that sort of middle round thing, a sleeper that I really like is Puka Nakua from BYU. Another kid that we saw down at, at, at the senior bowl, when Puka Nakua was on the field the past couple of years, BYU's offense played way up. And whenever he w- Puka Nakua yeah. was injured, it, it played way down. Puka Nakua, we talk about guys that play with their hair on fire. That's Puka Nakua. Every single rep, he's going full bore, including when he's blocking. But the cool thing about Puka Nakua, he, um, my, my colleague Derek Brown calls him Discount Debo. Um, <laughs> you know, in, in terms of his, I, 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 comp, uh, I comp Puka Nakua to Miles Austin. 
but the 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 Debo Samuel thing, you have to bring it up because Puka Nakua is one of the few receivers in this class that you can move around and then and then do the running stuff with him. When BYU would do the end arounds to him or get him in the backfield, different stuff like that, hand the ball off to him. He was really dangerous. Uh, there was this game this past year where they played uh, South Florida. Uh, Puka Nakua gets two end arounds, I think, in the first quarter, runs them both for touchdowns. But BYU would get too greedy trying to force all these touches <laughs> to Puka Nakua. They tried it a third time, and that's when USF was like, yeah, we know it's coming now. And so the whole defense just swarmed him. He gets injured in that play on that play, and then we didn't see him for, for a couple weeks, whatever. So he has some of the, the, the injury stuff, too, just the past couple of years just coming off the field. But it's more nagging type stuff. So your, your medical staff is going to have to be, um, you know, be comfortable with that. But assuming that it is, Puka Nakua is going to bring you a lot more diverse skills than I think he's given credit for in the draft media. Yeah, no, lots of good ones there. Uh, yeah, Tank Dell at the Senior Bowl was just like every single route, just dusting people. And that was that was he was maybe the most fun player to watch all week. So yes. uh, it's definitely not just deep shots. Like he just cooked everyone on every single route uh, in one on one. So uh, fun guy to watch. He would definitely be an interesting one. Um, so yeah, Thor, really appreciate it, guys. He is Thor Nystrom at Thor KU on the Twitters, uh, at Fantasy Pros as their NFL draft and college football analyst. Also at Score North as a Vikings analyst. Thor, anything else you'd like to plug before we sign off? Uh, just check out check out our stuff on Fantasy Pros. We have a draft guide out that's totally free. We have all the mock drafts, player rankings, scouting reports, all, all that sort of stuff. So that's what we're doing. Like Kevin mentioned, I put out the, the two-round mock today, and I'll have my tight end, my deep dive into the tight end class coming later this week. Absolutely. Well, looking forward to reading it, Thor. Thanks again for coming on, guys. Thank you for watching. I'm Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin. Please like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening to the pod, leave us that five-star review. Really appreciate that. Those things help us continue to grow. Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. We'll be back uh, next week with some more great content, some more terrific draft stuff as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft every day now. So again, guys, thank you so much for myself and for Thor. Have a great day, folks. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.